1: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today we're going to be taking a look at the Americans who got a move in the January transfer window. To do that, I am joined by a gentleman who, at time of recording, has not yet moved to Bayern Munich. We'll see what happens. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, Taylor. No, you're right about
2: that. I have not moved to Bayern Munich, and I I don't think my agent's going to be able to get that deal over the line, so it looks like I'll be staying for now.
1: Okay, all right. So we've got you for at least another few months and then we'll see what happens in the summer. Now you are, I guess, free to negotiate. Now suddenly this is getting real and I don't like it, Jeff. Don't leave us. (laughs) Yeah, I won't. I won't negotiate, Taylor. I'll I'll, I'll stick around. I I quite like it. Okay, I appreciate that. Uh, As I said, we're going to talk Americans who are on the move in January. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about our live show we've got this week. Joe and I are doing another Soccer 101 live show on stereo. It's going to be Thursday at 6 p.m. We heard from a few people that five was maybe a little bit too early or cut into work time. So we're going to try to push back, give people a little bit more of a cushion. And that one is going to be answering some listener questions, putting some questions out to the audience. So it's a bit more interactive. And then we're going to be talking about Joe's Soccer 101 topic from this week, which is what, Joe? Oh, we're talking about La Masia. So I'm going to dive Mm -hmm. into I have the script
2: mostly ready. I have my talking points mostly ready. So all that all that's left released for me to record that and get that out there. But it's all about how La Masia came to be what it is, why it became such a big deal and maybe why now it's not as big of a deal as it used to be.
1: All right, so I look forward to it because we know the kind of continued sustained importance of it, but then there's been much made of the fact that they've kind of moved away from promoting from within and instead spending a ton of money that they don't necessarily have, so I'm excited to hear about the evolution of it and uh, talk with you about it again, that's going to be 6pm on Thursday on the Stereo app Uh, Maybe we can put a link to that show or one of our accounts in the show notes so people can follow us there and uh, give it a listen, hopefully they will tune in Joe, any other housekeeping to get to before we talk Americans? I don't think so, man. I think I'm ready to go all right. Then I will warn you up front. I have a quiz. I have three quiz questions for Ooh. Joe Lowry that he's gonna he's gonna have to navigate, uh, and we we've sort of got these players sorted into where they moved or where they moved from, and we've got a few in the Bundesliga. So my first question is related to the Bundesliga. There have been a lot of American players in the Bundesliga. I don't know the specific number, and that's mostly because when I went to the Wikipedia page, It took me way too long to scroll down, and I got bored of counting. So instead, I went this route. Joe, who, according to Wikipedia, stressing that one, was the first U.S. international to play in the Bundesliga? And I will give you a couple of hints since, as I said, there have been many names. You definitely know his name. He was a dual national, and he did captain the United States.
2: Oh, man. This is a great question. I'm running through the dual national thing through me for a loop. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. I don't think I'm going to get this one. I might need a, okay. a first initial, last initial kind of thing.
1: Uh, l- first, uh, first letter of his last name would be D. He first played in the Bundesliga in 1986 for Humburg, then Kaiserslautern, then Bayer Leverkusen, then Schalke. Sorry, you said D or B? D. D is in dog.
2: D as in dog. Why am I not getting this? Mm-hmm. You're going to have
1: to, you're going to have to spill it, Taylor. You're going to have to do it. I can do that. It's Thomas Dooley, who played oh, in the Bundesliga yeah. from 1986 to 1993 and then 94 to 97. So he was the first. There have been many. Don't worry, Joe. I think that's the hardest question. I think. We'll see. Well, I'm just, uh, I'm, just, I'm, just ready ready we have... I'm just ready to be shamed. I'm just ready to be
2: shamed by listeners <laughs> for my lack of, of 1980s Bundesliga knowledge. Bring it on. That fuels me.
1: All right. I want to start off then with our Bundesliga knowledge about Chris Richards, who moved to Hoffenheim on loan from Bayern Munich. Uh, I was really excited about this one just because I thought it would give him an opportunity to play. He had been previously linked with uh, Union Berlin. That would have made a lot of sense to me, too. Uh, so I remain optimistic and excited about this one, especially since I think Hoffenheim are are in need of a defender. Joe, what about you? Uh, what did you make of this move? I'm also really excited about this one. You've got the,
2: the injury aspect. Hoffenheim have had a lot of their center backs go down with injuries. Three of them so far since the fall of 2020 headed into 2021 have gone down with some more medium to long
1: term injuries. Yeah, we've got Akpaguma, we've got Bisakcic and we've got Hübner. Hübner, the captain of the team, is out for a, a, a decent amount of time. And Bisakcic, I think, is out for the entire season. So, yes, there is uh, there are many injuries and much room for Chris Richards. Man, I respect
2: you going for those names like a pro. What a what an absolute <laughs> podcast guru over they didn't here. Make it I easy. wasn't brave enough. I was not brave enough. They did not make it easy. That's true. That's true. I I think I'm most excited about this move though, not because Richards might have a real chance immediately to get on the field. I don't know mm-hmm. how that's going to work out. I don't know where he will fall even in the remaining center back depth chart. But the biggest reason I'm excited about this move is because of who Hoffenheim's coach is. Yeah, it's, I'm right there with you. It's former Bayern Munich Reserve head coach Sebastian Honus. So he coached Chris Richards in the 3 Liga with Bayern Munich 2 in the 2019-2020 season where they won that 3 Liga championship. And so Honus coached that team before moving to take over Hoffenheim at the start of this season. Richards knows this guy. This guy knows Richards. It seems like it's going to be a good match.
1: I agree completely. And I think, like, I will say this, I probably should, maybe should have said this up front, but I'll say it now. I was expecting to go into this with, like, half of these moves being really exciting and then half of them having some red flags or having some concerns. For the most part, I think almost every single, if not every single move, uh, that an American made made a lot of sense. And this is one of those because Chris Richards moving from Bayern Munich on loan We've seen that with Julian Green. We've seen Byron send out lots of players to lots of teams. And that doesn't always mean a positive thing because just because they're from Byron doesn't mean they're they're necessarily good or going to get playing time. But as you said, the relationship with Honus, he knows what he's getting. They have the injury issues. So it, it seems like this is a move born of I know this player. I know what he can do. I know he can fit in and make this team better. So I do sort of expect Chris Richards to start getting minutes, maybe not immediately, but also maybe immediately.
2: And they play a lot of three at the back. They've played the majority of their games this season in either a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3. They've also used a lot of 4-4-2 and 4-2-3-1, but again, the majority of their games has been with three center backs, which is a good thing when you've got a young American center back coming in on loan. This is a good opportunity for Chris Richards to actually get minutes. Like you said, Taylor, I don't know if it's going to be immediately, but but it seems like there will be an opportunity here in terms of the shape, in terms of his relationship with the coach. And also, statistically, I looked at the numbers a little bit, Hoffenheim have given up the second most XG in the Bundesliga so far this year, and only three teams have conceded more goals, more actual goals than Hoffenheim has this year. This could be an opportunity for Christchurch to come in and help right that ship a little bit.
1: I like the way you phrased that, because I had it as fourth most goals conceded in the Bundesliga. Yours made more sense. Only three teams have conceded more. I like that, Joe. Uh, (laughs) I was also slightly worried about that for Hoffenheim, and that's where I feel like this could work for Richards pretty well. Hoffenheim home to Eintracht Frankfurt this weekend. We'll see if he gets any minutes there. But, again, I'm just excited to have another American in the Bundesliga who I think will actually get some minutes. And if he doesn't, then I think we'll at least have some transparency as to why. If it's he doesn't fit the system or he just wasn't quite ready for it. But I think more information about the player, the better. And I do think that's another thing we are going to get out of this one.
2: And I've heard this a couple of times, but just to reiterate, I think if Chris Richards goes to Hoffenheim and and he plays really well and he looks like, okay, he's a Hoffenheim level center back and he goes back to Bayern Munich and maybe he still doesn't break into that group, then maybe we learn over the next season or two seasons that it seems like Mm -hmm. his ceiling or at least immediate ceiling is a Hoffenheim level center back that's still a good reality. That's still a fine end to this little loan throughout the rest of the, 2020, 2020 2021 season. Mm-hmm. That's a mouthful. <laughs> I think I almost think there's no downside here, in, unless Richards doesn't get on the field, which is possible.. Yep. I think even if he plays and plays well and doesn't eventually go back and
1: break in at Bayern, this is still a good move. I agree. Uh, and I and I really do think he's going to get minutes sooner rather than later. Maybe not this weekend, but we'll see. They're coming for you, Frankfurt. Uh, two more Bundesliga players who I think are also not as likely to get minutes right away. The first we should talk about would be Joe Scali, uh to Borussia Mönchengladbach, a move that has long been in the works. Is that fair to say, Joe?
2: Yeah, man, this thing was agreed to in 2019. I thought it was 2020 when I was thinking about these players in my head before I put them in a Google Doc for both of us to look at. And then I realized when I was doing my research, this thing was agreed in 2019, he could only officially move on January 1st after he hit 18 and gotten into this window in the winter. And, and now it's, it's finally happening, Taylor
1: it is and i think uh, we should know that's because he doesn't have the the dual passport so he has to wait till he's 18 but it does feel like this wasn't just a Bruzy munch and gladbach also trying to get in on signing young mls players uh, they do seem to be really high on him they've watched a lot of him they've been like, keeping tabs on him throughout the past year or so and is i according to reports according to what i have heard already training with their first team that doesn't mean he's going to start that doesn't mean he'll necessarily get minutes but that he's already in with that first team It does speak volumes about how highly they regard him and about the idea of him potentially fitting in this season and maybe getting some minutes down the road, especially if there are depth issues or fixture congestion becomes a problem. I don't know if that happens soon, but I think the way Gladbach have gone about this, the long term planning of it does have me feeling optimistic.
2: Can I give a little scouting report and background on Joe Scalley, Taylor? Please. Just because he has played. Okay, I guess I'll just get into it. He's played so few pro minutes. He played very, right. very little for NYCFC. So so here's my here's my scouting report. He's got a great first name, number one. That's really important for us to focus on. Uh Joe Scalley is just an iconic that first name, especially. Even if we look past that, though, <laughs> he, he played 71 minutes with NYCFC in MLS. He played other minutes in CCL and in the Open Cup, but but still not a a lot of minutes for them overall as one of their homegrown players. He's a U.S. Youth National Team player. He played at the most recent U-17 World Cup. And so he's been in that system for the last few years. He's a right back. He's well built physically. He's a solid looking guy in in terms of how he's able to move around on the field. But he's raw. I think he's got the potential to be a lot of things. I think he has the potential to be a good passer and a really good crosser. And I think he's got the potential to be a, a solid defender in the back. But right now, he's got room to grow in all of those areas. I think especially with his 1v1 defending and some of his his decision-making in the final third. But again, Scally's raw. He's likely not going to slot into the uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach first team right off the bat. And so there's time for them to mold him into the kind of right back that they want him to be.
1: Exactly. And that's why this move happened, I think, is because what we've come to learn about Bundesliga clubs, when they're looking at Americans, if they're the finished product and they're cost effective, maybe they go for them. But what they want is that youngster who they can mold into the player they need that player to be. And I think that's exactly what they're going to do with Joe Scally. To your point about his limited minutes, how much of that do you think is him having like there being better players ahead of him versus Maybe NYCFC not wanting to jeopardize the move by what if he tears his ACL or gets a, like a long-term injury and that could throw that move into chaos a little bit.
2: That's a great question. Scally had Anton Tinnerholm in front of him in that right back mm-hmm. depth chart for NYCFC and Tinnerholm is one of the best if not the best right back in MLS,
1: and so I, really, I wanted to say that, and then I like kind of lost my nerve a little bit because I was like, "Is that too bold to say no, that Tinnerholm is like v- okay, cool, all right?" That makes me feel better as well. No, you had it, you had it, Taylor.
2: Tinnerholm is a is a very very good fullback in Major League Soccer, and I think he could play in a lot of levels around around the world, really. And so Scally was never going to be the starter, was never even going to be a regular player for them. But I do think, Taylor, that's a really good point you made. I think there is is something to be said for the fact that they had $2 million coming in for him, reported by ESPN, coming in for Scali from Munch and Gladbach. And so how much do you want to risk that investment? How much do you want to risk that, that future of the player in an immediate sense? But I still think most of the reason is probably because Anton Tinnerholm was ahead of him.
1: Yeah, and and with it being Anton Tinnerholm, who is 29, isn't you know himself a 22 year old or something, but is so established that you also, if you're at NYCFC, can't really run the risk of being like, hey man, this kid's gonna play for a while, then he's gonna be gone, then we'll give you more minutes. Like you can't really risk upsetting that order too much. So whereas with some players, I would be like, this feels very premature. We're gonna talk about one of those in a second, but I think in this case, it just feels very calculated and organized and sort of everybody was on the same page, I'm going to assume there was a lot of communication. So I don't have as many concerns about the lack of minutes, the lack of starts. And if anything, I'm just excited for if and when Joe Scalley does play. There's a chance it's this season. I think it requires him to develop a lot and really prove what he can do in training. But it's another one of those scenarios of, the sooner we see him, the more it shows us how good he is. Because if he were to start in a month, I think that tells us, like, wow, he has really impressed. But also if we don't see him play until next season, or at this point next season, that also doesn't really concern me because it's, yeah, he's a teenager, he's still getting his footing. Maybe when they have that January window next time when they all go on break, and that's where we've seen Christian Pulisic and Gio Reina get minutes for Dortmund, maybe that's when he comes into the fold there. But either way, I think it's a strong, solid move for Jose that yes uh, began a long time ago, but has finally come to fruition.
2: If Scally plays tomorrow, great. If he plays a year from now, also yep. fine. I think I think that's a great place to be operating for a lot of these guys, and I think that's definitely true of Scally. All
1: right, let's talk about Justin Che then, because that's the one that I was sort of alluding to earlier. Uh, loaned to Bayern Munich with an option to buy. I don't know if that happened today or yesterday i'm assuming it was yesterday maybe it only just became clear today but the information i have uh from manuel Vates, who and i think uh tom bogart as well tweeting some information uh he's registered with the dfb and with bayern munich already it's a loan to buy we don't know the rate necessarily yet or the amount it will be but we do know that justin che does have a german passport i'm not sure how that's the information i have joe what do you have I've got a little background, I
2: guess. He's he's Please. seventeen, so he's able to move because of that German passport, and he's an FC Dallas homegrown. He played some with North Texas SC in USL League One. He he played mostly as a center back, but a little bit on the right. But from what I've read and seen, a tiny bit of him, he likely projects more as a center back. But again, there's there's time for things to fall and, and to shake out in a different way if that's what happens. But yeah, he's a really young kid. He was on trial with Bayern Munich along with some other Dallas homegrowns. And he's going to be staying there. I mean, maybe he can hop on a quick flight to come back and and grab some stuff. Or I don't know exactly how that works. But he is going to be a part of this Bayern Munich team, at least for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, and and I I tweeted out the joke that like they're a feeder academy. A few different people pointed out that they they do have the relationship. There is the sort of uh, I forget what the the term would be, but there is an existing relationship between the two, which I fully get. It just sort of feels like Bayern Munich are like, oh, that kid's good. Yeah, we'll take that one. It's like how the Yankees treat the Pittsburgh Pirates at times. <laughs> that's that's sort of what what it feels like a little bit here. And with that said, I I do have to believe that he has been well scouted. There've been a, there've been a lot of eyes on him at various points. This doesn't seem to just be like, a, oh, it's another kid who you say is good? Sure, we'll take him. I'm assuming there's a lot more reason to it. It does just feel a bit more surprising, a bit like less like Joe Scally where it's sort of developed over time, and though he's young, though he doesn't have minutes, we can kind of understand the situation. Che, less so that one. Do you have concerns about this one, or do you just feel like Bayern Munich are, are this massive club that know what they're doing?
2: I don't have concerns necessarily, because... Well, not because I think Bayern Munich know what they're doing; they they do, but I don't think that's a huge factor here. I honestly think I, I'm not too concerned because he's 17. He's a 17 year old kid, and, and if he goes and plays in the youth system at, at Bayern and and they decide they don't want to keep him, then the worst thing that happens is he goes back to Dallas with six months of this European true. experience, not this playing not playing for the first team. I said it a minute ago that he'll be a part of that Bayern Munich team. I didn't mean uh, the the team that Hansi Flick coaches in the yeah. Bundesliga. He'll be in the system. Somewhere, either with the U19s, maybe with Bayern Munich too, but it seems likely he'd be with that, that youth squad. And so, yeah, he goes and he gets experience. And if he continues to elevate his game and performs well and they want to keep him around, that's awesome. Then, then they've got the next Chris Richards kind of coming through that pipeline. And if that, the move doesn't go exactly how Bayern Munich want it to, then everybody walks away pretty much how they were before, except Che has a
1: little bit more experience under his belt. Is it weird? Is it weird that because it's a Bundesliga team, I don't have as many concerns about it? Like, I think if this were maybe a Spanish team, certainly a, like a Premier League team, that's where I would feel like this doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't see him getting into that first team, so I guess he'll train with the reserves. I hope they have a plan for him. Whereas, because it's Bayern, because they already have the proven track record of players playing for that Bayern 2 team in the third division, winning it. Like, so he is gonna get minutes, he is gonna get training time, maybe he'll get to train a little bit with the first team. But I think just because of the setup that the Bundesliga have, Bundesliga clubs have, and the way they are able to develop players through their academy, I think I'm just a bit more willing to take it on faith and be like, yeah, I'm sure this is going to be fine. And as you said, worst case scenario, he just comes back with six more months of training in a different system and a little bit more experience. I think your
2: comfort with the Bundesliga developing American talent is totally justified. It, they have that proven track record in ways that other leagues in Europe simply don't have they have the, the the fact that they've developed Christian Pulisic and that they helped develop Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna. The list goes on, and we're seeing Chris Richards. Yeah. I mean, the list is getting longer and longer every year, every transfer window, and, and in that, I think we all kind of can only be getting more comfortable with what's happening.
1: Yeah, all right. So we've had a, a few players moving to Germany. We've had another player leaving Dallas for uh, Italian shores, but before we talk about that, Joe, should we talk about some sponsors for today?
2: Oh, Taylor, nothing would make me happier.
1: <laughs> then let's talk about Wealthfront. No one is great at something the first time they try it. That is definitely true for me. And even when I've tried it a bunch of times, it still might not be great. If you're unfamiliar with investing, getting started can obviously be intimidating. Wealthfront does the work for you so you can invest like an expert from the beginning.
2: Wealthfront creates automated investment portfolios of diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you. I like that. To open your account, all you need is three minutes, Taylor, and all you need is $500 to invest. You can do those things. There are no manual <laughs> trades, no watching the stock market, and no more managing the details. Wealthfront's technology does it for you based on inputs you control.
1: So advertisers do like when we have experience with the service. So, Joe, I just need to borrow a quick $500. i am going to go ahead and invest that, <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. Sound good to you? Yeah, yeah, we can. Make that happen <laughs> on air commitment. That'll work. Wealthfront reduces unnecessary risk, and their portfolios are made to weather long-term market conditions. They can even help you lower your taxes, which is certainly always a positive. Wealthfront is trusted with over twenty billion billion with a B uh, of assets, and you can get your first five thousand dollars managed for free. Joe, how can they do that? How can listeners get that money managed for free?
2: Right now, you can visit Wealthfront.com slash TSS to get your first $5,000 managed for free. So so go to that web address. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash TSS to start growing your savings. Go to Wealthfront.com slash TSS and get started
1: today. Thank you very much to Wealthfront for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you very much to Joe for uh, agreeing to just shell out five hundred bucks. I think that's the thing that Joe will do for all listeners, so they can get started. Joe, so generous, yeah, also generous.
2: Think- <laughs> Go ahead. Now, I was going to say, I think I can, I can say I made that decision under
1: duress. So, so I think I should be clear. But yeah, if not, yeah, you're welcome. Are you editing? You're editing today, aren't you? So then, yeah, there's no way I can make this sound like you offered it uh, unprompted, can I? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. All right, fine. All right, then let's say (laughs) that this episode is brought to you by 1010. Uh, You may have read about this in the New York Times, in Style Magazine, or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it. Joe, what are we telling people about?
2: 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today.
1: That is right. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring. They're available now exclusively at BlueNile.com, and when they are gone, they are gone. Dun, dun, dun. We all (laughs) know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a
2: timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010 it's been beautifully reenvisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds.
1: If you're ready to mark a special commitment or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings is now available exclusively at BlueNile.com. Thank you very much to 1010 for sponsoring today's episode. Joe, you threw in a dun-dun-dun there. This is going to be a weird one. I hope you can roll with me. So, dun 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 has like many different uses. Is dun dun simply just for Law and Order? Like, I feel like that is the only time I've ever heard like the dun dun. That that yeah, that is like the domain of Dick Wolf and Law and Order. Is my feeling that's the that's the only time just
2: two duns should ever be used back to back. (laughs) Okay, dun dun dun. I would argue could have sort of a a mysterious, ominous quality, or (laughs) or just certainly you know some epicness to it. But just the two, yeah, it's Law and Order.
1: I'm I'm glad we're on the same page about this one. I have a feeling we're going to be on the same page in our enthusiasm for Brian Reynolds moving to Roma. 19-year-old right back, formerly of FC Dallas, has now officially, after I believe 12 years of uh, reporting on where he was going to end up, has moved to Roma for 7.5 million euros is the figure I believe I saw reported, uh, making him the most expensive American Academy product, second most expensive Academy product overall after Alfonso Davies.
2: Yeah, this is a club record fee for FC Dallas. It's a club mm-hmm. record fee and they're getting a lot of money up front and maybe even more money later on. I read a Soccer America article that cited, uh, the, the actual fees from Roma in their announcement. Apparently they're, they're getting just over $8 million up front. And then there are conditional payments of nearly $7 million that could come from incentives and things like that if Brian Reynolds hits those, I would assume. Then there's a 15% sell-on percentage for Dallas as well. There's, there's a lot of money, at least for an American soccer team in this deal.
1: There is. And then there's been a lot of coverage of this deal, obviously from the American side. But then much has been made of his arrival in Rome. Uh, he went from, I think, probably relative anonymity, leaving Dallas to arriving to lots of cameras, lots of media, which I'm going to assume was a bit of a surprise. I'm also assuming that part of that was because he had been linked with so many Serie A clubs that for Roma to get him when he was strongly linked with Juve, for example, I do wonder how much of that is sort of a like, haha, we got this guy. It's another sort of thing to make our fans feel positive at a time when they might not be feeling as positive. And I do think part of that is because the right back situation for Roma isn't as strong as it's been in seasons past. Rick Karsdorp is the starter for now, but from everything I read on uh, Roma blogs, he's not, like, necessarily filling them with confidence. Uh, Signed in June of 2015, he's been there for three and a half years—excuse me, 2016—three and a half years with Roma— only making 45 appearances. He went back to Feyenoord on loan, which is where he came from. There were rumors that that would be made permanent. He is the consistent starter this season, but it doesn't feel like he has necessarily locked that one down entirely. So I think there will be room for competition. There are other players in there, but I have I have good feelings about this one. Joe, where are you on it?
2: I'm kind of torn, to be okay. honest. I love I love the move from a Dallas perspective, first of all. Lots of money in this deal, as I talked about. That, that's, it's a no-brainer for them. He, he'd only been a player, an FC Dallas player for about half a season as a regular starter after Reggie Cannon left to go play for Boavista. So Brian Reynolds hadn't made an, an indelible mark on this team. And so losing him is mm. difficult because he was a good player in MLS during his time starting at the end of last season. But he wasn't a revelation on the field. And so for Dallas, this move makes all the sense in the world. For Roma as well, it seems like they're looking for more competition at that right wing back spot. They play a three at the back shape, usually a three, four, three under Paulo Fonseca. And so I think they're, they're happy to get another guy in that group. But for Brian Reynolds, I wonder how quickly he's going to be able to get yeah. in this lineup. Not because necessarily of any one right wing back on this roster already but because of some of the deficiencies that he has in his own game that I think weren't exposed as often in MLS as I think they'll be exposed in Serie
1: I I don't think this is just me being sort of, I don't know, like fly by night, changing in the wind, but your hesitation on this one makes me more hesitant, I think, than I've been about any other player, and maybe will be about any other player, because you're right that we don't have the sample size. This For the tug-of-war reasons, it feels, again, a little bit less stable than, say, that Gladbach move. But then also, it's not as though he's moving to a Roma team who are challenging for the title safely in the Champions League places and have room to play. They, or, or are sort of don't have the pressure of like, oh, they're way outside the Champions League and this is a rebuilding year, so maybe he'll get some minutes. Paolo Fonseca is a little bit on the hot seat, not entirely. I don't think there's really much in the way of like the reporting that he's going to be sacked anytime soon, but he doesn't have the luxury of experimenting and giving a youngster a run out and seeing what happens. It does seem like it is going to be incumbent upon Brian Reynolds to show that he belongs very quickly. I don't think he's going to get a ton of slack, at least early, because this is a Roma team that really want to be in Europe next season and are going to do everything they can to make that happen. And as we mentioned, there's Karsdorp, there's Bruno Perez, there's David Santon. Again, none of them are like Locked down. This is the guy that's got that job. And Brian Reynolds has a huge way to go to close that gap. But I think he does have a lot of work to do, and it is the one that I think is in a slightly precarious position if he doesn't impress early or Roma have a few bad results and suddenly they can't focus on developing players as much and it's all about the short term. That is where we might see some issues for him pop up.
2: The biggest thing that stands between Brian Reynolds and actually getting on the field for Roma in a meaningful game for them is his defensive ability. Offensively, he is Roma quality. He is Serie A quality. He's able to get forward into the attack. He's really, really, really fast. He's got a great right foot. He can bend balls into the box. He can get to the, to the end line and then cut the ball back into the box like we see a lot of wide players being asked to do nowadays. Defensively though, he's vulnerable. He's weak defensively. He's not able to, to turn his hips and and track back as quickly as you would want a, an outside defender to do. He's not able to keep up 1v1. And, and monitor a player and also keep his hips turned and low and all of those defensive fundamentals that you want from a fullback or a wingback. He's just not at that level yet. And that's understandable. He hasn't been a, a fullback or a wingback for very long. He used to play up front or on the wing for Dallas and the youth system and even the U.S. youth national teams. So it's going to take time. But that's my biggest hesitancy about this move is is Brian Reynolds' defensive work going to be enough to get him into the lineup anytime soon? And I don't think the answer to that question is yes. I think it's probably no. And so then the question becomes, okay, how long is it going to take? And at that point, it just becomes an exercise in patience for for you and I and kind of for everybody out there watching him at Roma.
1: This is going to be a slightly strange question based on what you've just said, but bear with me. Like, so for the longest time when Sergio Dest was playing for Ajax and when he was like first coming through with US youth teams, one thing that I sort of, saw a few times enough that it made me feel like it was a deficiency was his ability to like defend 1v1 on balls played over the top, that when he was trying to track the run and track the ball, sometimes he would lose track of the ball, sometimes he would track it well, but then when his opponent brought that ball down, he wasn't in the best position, and it was a thing that I kind of focused in on and then did see him improve, and he has improved with it, when even when moving to Barcelona. But it's sort of those moments of like, okay, here's a thing that I can tell isn't a strength. And then I can see him develop from there. That's my long winded way of asking you, like, let's say we had Brian Reynolds just playing in a friendly with Roma. Is there a certain thing you would feel more heartened by if you saw like, is it one V one? Is it tracking back? Is it popping out? But then covering as well? Like, are there certain things you would like to see from him that will show you he is developing that defensive side of his game?
2: That's a really great question. For me, it's, it's definitely that 1v1 defensive ability. Is he going to get turned by the opposing left winger? That's the question. It happened in Major League Soccer too much already. And it happened when he would be defending as a right back in, in Dallas' back four under Lucha Gonzalez. Let's say maybe he had an inverted left winger coming at him. So that, that left winger for the opposing team wants to cut inside onto his right foot. And Brian, Brian Reynolds' job in that situation ideally is to either cut off that inside dribble or at least to shepherd that player over to a midfielder or to a center back in some sort of structured defensive way. Brian Reynolds hasn't been able to do that consistently in the past. And so if I'm seeing him on the field for Roma anytime soon, that's what I'm watching for. I'm not really watching for the offensive fireworks because I think those are going to be there. I'm not even really watching for his ability to track balls over the top, like you mentioned with Dest. I'm really just fixated on his 1v1 defensive ability and how he performs at that right right side of the defensive spot that he'll be in.
1: Right. Joe is not concerned about offensive fireworks I will say we'll talk about this later on Joe may not know we're going to talk about it later on but in regards to fireworks you should pay attention if they're around you it's an important thing a certain player learned again we're going to talk about that in a second right now the only other thing I want to I, I don't even know if we want to talk about it it's just a burning question I have that I would love to get to the bottom of is why Brian Reynolds is not a Bayern Munich player given the connection between Dallas and Bayern that we've already talked about and the fact that they don't have a lot of depth at right back it's why they were after Serginho Dest they 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 brought in Bunasar, He has not set the world alight. Three starts, I think, in the Bundesliga so far. They played Nicolas Sula there, who, by my memory and by everything I've seen from him, is an out-and-out center back. Uh, Benjamin Pavard has had the injury issues and hasn't played as consistently. So this seems like one that they would have wanted to be involved in, and maybe they were and just didn't want to pay the money it would have taken, or... Maybe they didn't want to establish that precedent or felt like they'd already raided, uh, FC Dallas enough, but then proceeded to raid them one more time. So I don't, I don't even know if you can speculate on that one, Joe. It's just a thing that I remain confused by.
2: Well, maybe they just didn't want to wait. That, that's something I can mm, think could about. Maybe if they realized we need to write back now, maybe they wanted to go after a more established player. I don't think Brian Reynolds is ready to play at Roma. I definitely don't think he's ready to play at Bayern Munich. Even Alfonso Davies, when they signed him from Vancouver, wasn't immediately brought into that lineup, and so while Bayern Munich know the market in Major League Soccer probably better than a lot of European teams, I think maybe they they know it too well to be baited into trying to make Brian Reynolds their starting right back, or at least a, a heavy rotational
1: kind of right back for them. I feel like that is a very logical and common sense answer that has sort of answered my question. So well done, it's a Joe. Good question. <laughs> you solved question. it. I think that's probably it, though. You're right that you don't really want to roll the dice on another player to come in, and you're not sure if they will be ready right away, you want to give them some time. And we know that January transfers aren't always like necessarily ready to hit the ground running. So, no, I think, I think you've kind of solved it there, Joe. Uh, but unfortunately for you, what that means is that now it's time for another quiz question, unless you right. have anything else to say about Americans uh, in the Bundesliga or Americans in Serie A, as is Brian Reynolds now. Oh, I'm ready, Taylor. Hit me with All this right. quiz question. Then we're moving to Turkey. So we have DeAndre Yedlin, now with Galatasaray. We have Tyler Boyd, uh, on loan at Sivaspor. So in addition to Yedlin and Tyler Boyd, five U.S. national team players have played in Turkey. Joe, can you name one of them?
2: Okay. It's okay. a tough one. Here we go. It's can been a little I bit of this. time. Okay. So didn't, I, re, I remember listening to Grant Wall's podcast, the uh-huh. American Prodigy, right? Didn't, didn't Freddie Adu play in Turkey like very
1: briefly? Second division for Chaika Rizaspor. You are correct. Hold well on, oh, yeah. Joe. Freddy Adu. Oh, yeah. Uh, playing in Eastern Turkey. Yes, near the Black Sea. Uh, Interesting times for Freddie Adu, but we also had Brad Friedel playing for Galatasaray uh, way back when. Jermaine Jones with Besiktas and both Josie Altidore and Maurice Adu with Bursa Spohr. But now we have Deandre Yedlin playing for Galatasaray, which makes me massively happy since I, I I am and will remain a Galatasaray fan. And because I think there's a decent chance that he is going to get minutes pretty quickly. Uh, Joe, what have you made of Deandre Yedlin's move to Istanbul?
2: I, I'm curious. It's okay. a free transfer. Newcastle reportedly are going to receive a a, a performance based bonus. Uh, it's it's an interesting deal, right? Because it came off the back of of them having some visa problems with DeAndre Edlin, and he was mm-hmm. going to have to leave. And then they somehow got all that sorted out, and now he's still leaving. So there's there's a, already a weird situation there. But I'm mostly curious about the level of the Turkish league, Taylor, and that's why I wanted to ask <laughs> you how like how competitive is the Turkish Super League? Because I I don't know competitive in what way. So if we think about Europe a lot of people break it down into the top 5 leagues Bundesliga La Liga Premier League Serie A Liga where does Turkey I assume it's not in that group right otherwise we'd be talking about it a lot more on a regular basis but where where does it rank maybe in context with the championship or with the Portuguese first division kind of kind of in that
1: tier or is it even lower down I would put it like around a sl- probably slightly ahead of the championship below Portugal below France below Russia um like, probably ahead of the Austrian Bundesliga. It's it's in that realm. I will say this. Okay. Like, I remember watching Turkish Super League games with my wife, uh then girlfriend, when we were in Turkey. And we would watch, like, a Premier League game before that. So, we would watch... I remember specifically watching, like, a Man United game. And then we switched to a Galatasaray game. And she was sort of like, you, you can't really show me the one and then show me the other one and not... Notice the massive difference. The Turkish league is definitely more physical. It's definitely dependent on some of the bigger names and some of the bigger teams. It's diversified a bit of late, because it used to just be Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, Besiktas. We've had Istanbul uh get stronger. I forget who else. There's another team that sort of has come on. Trabzonspor have always been solid. But there is more competition in the league these days. And then they have... Increased the foreigner uh, rules. I think initially it was 14 at the beginning of the season. Now you can have 16, so that has uh, helped a little bit with the overall quality. And then we have Mesedozo going back, for example. So I do think it will be a a a good level for him. And I think DeAndre Yedlin will perform well. But it's certainly not the the top elite tier. Uh, they they send a team automatically to the Champions League, but then that team doesn't always go particularly far in the competition. That's great insight. I learned a lot because I I didn't know
2: (laughs) what this level was going to be. You know, I know the top teams in Turkey. I know that Galatasaray is a good team in Turkey. They're third in the league right now. Only three points out of first place. The top two teams qualify for the Champions League with uh, the third and fourth teams going to the Europa League. And so from that, I can kind of gauge the competitive quality, at least of the top of the league. But that helps me better contextualize the level that Yedlin's coming into. And I think that's a good thing.
1: It's, it's a bit like, I, I would say it is overall. It is ahead of Major League Soccer in terms of quality, but I think some of the worst teams in the Super League would get it handed to them by MLS teams, especially some of the stronger ones. So it's it's like right in that range. Uh, and then, like, but you have this, and I think the reason why I, I come to that comparison is because a lot of times with Galatasaray especially, they're looking at those players who are maybe just a little bit past that prime, sometimes more than just a little bit past, but it's why ZDA Drogba shows up there after playing in China, it's why Rademal Falcao was there. That didn't work out so well. But they there is more of an inclination to bring in those big-name players and sort of get the last bit you can out of them. Fenerbahce did that with uh, Dark kites They did that with uh, Robin Van Persie. Wesley Schneider was with Galatasaray for a very long time. There are occasionally the players who go there young and then stay, stay there. I think their captain right now Galatasaray is Fernando Muslera, the goalkeeper for Uruguay, who's been there for, since I was in Turkey, so 2011. So you do sometimes get those players, but for the most part, I think it's pretty good Turkish players, and then some players who are maybe a little bit past their prime, some players who are maybe sent there to develop a bit more and then go back and do big things. And I think DeAndre Edlin will fit in pretty well. I also think the relative vulnerability at that right-back spot – Makes things pretty exciting for him right now. The last three games, uh, the starting right back has been 29-year-old Norwegian uh, Martin Lintz. Uh, he's had 15 appearances total this season. His career high for Galatasaray in six seasons was 20 appearances. And I make that distinction just to say that it's not as though he has been the out-and-out starter every single season. It seems like he has to fill in when the person ahead of him gets injured, and that is the case here. Uh, Omar el Abdalawi, also a Norwegian right back, 29 years old, he is either still in the hospital or recuperating at home because on New Year's Eve, a firework went off in his hand, uh got burns on there his face and injured his eye. So he has been out, and I don't know what his t- the timeline is for his recovery, but with an eye injury, I'm going to assume it's not a thing you can rush back from. It's why he's missed nine games. Linz has been fine, but again, by all accounts, is not the sort of player that you're coming in feeling like, yep, this guy's got it locked down. We feel really safe here. He is also on, from what I read, 1.4 million euros a year. Yedlin's contract will be 1.1. So it's not even that they've spent a ton of money to bring in Deandre Yedlin. It seems like it's a smart move at a proper valuation and a proper salary that will allow him, I think, to stay there. And I do think he will be just fine in that league, especially because Fatih Tarim is still the manager of Galatasaray. And he... He's fine with tactics. He loves fight. He loves tenacity. He loves energy. He loves enthusiasm. And I think we'll sort of unleash Deandre Yedlin a little bit. I, I have a, f- the full expectation we will see him heavily involved in the attacks, using that pace. And I, I'm, my optimistic take on this is that I think we'll see a little bit of that swagger come back to Deandre Yedlin that we haven't seen in a really long time. And I think with a manager who backs him, I do think Fatih Tarim will be excited to have Yedlin and use him properly. I won't be surprised if we see him starting regularly for them and looking very good again. I don't know if he's going to get back in that right back conversation because there are 60 right backs for the U S men's national team right now, but I hope we get to see him soon. I really hope we get to see him this weekend. Cause do you know what this weekend is Joe Lowry? Uh, Saturday and Sunday? Be- no, I don't That know. is correct. Don't it is maybe. my favorite named derby. It's the Intercontinental Derby. We've got Fenerbahce hosting Galatasaray this weekend. Fenerbahce on the Asian side of Istanbul. Galatasaray on the European side. They do not like each other. I think it will be behind closed doors. Maybe some fans in attendance. I'm sure there will be fans outside the stadium setting off fireworks. That is their want. But if Yedlin gets to play in that one, I will be... Fascinated to see how he handles it. Uh, if you had all the fans there, I think it would probably be a bit overwhelming, a bit intimidating. Timo Werner couldn't handle Besiktas Stadium; it got too loud. But I have a feeling DeAndre Yedlin will be okay. Whether or not he plays this weekend, I don't know. But I'm really excited for this move to Galatasaray.
2: We need to figure out ways for you to flex your your Turkish soccer knowledge more often, because <laughs> I think I think there's so much information that you have that I I've never heard before, or, or I'm just learning right now. And that's cool because it relates to DeAndre Edlin and all of those things. But I I just appreciate the Turkish Super League of knowledge that you have
1: in that noggin. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh Part of it is because my wife and I lived about a block and a half away from Besiktas's stadium when it was. It was one of my favorite stadiums because it is in the most beautiful... Like, it is such a beautiful location. It's right by Dolmabahce Palace. It's right on the Bosphorus. Uh, there's a very old mosque near it. Like, it's just this very picturesque stadium, except that it was very much built piecemeal. And you can see, like, oh, there's 1970s architecture. Like, oh, they renovated that one in the 1980s. That was built in the 50s. Like, you can just tell the decade. The new stadium, much more beautiful, much more wonderful Unless you're Tyler Boyd. That's my transition into talking about <laughs> Tyler Boyd, who was in Beshitasha's squad in the beginning of the season. Uh, then Rashid Ghazal joined. Foreign player restrictions being what they are, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, he was then kind of bumped out because they had to make way for uh, Gazal, who I believe is Algerian. Then, when the Turkish Federation increased the number of foreign players from 14 to 16 this January, knowing the Federation, I'm going to assume that directly benefited one of the bigger teams. Looking in the direction of Fenerbahce, we'll see. Uh, then, Tyler Boyd was moved back into the squad. He was back with Besiktas for three days until they loaned him to Sivaspor and announced that with the maybe worst possible worst photoshop job of all time Joe yeah it's it's pretty bad you texted it to me and it's it's not great <laughs> it's not they kind of put his slightly too large head onto a very small body. It was as though Tyler Boyd had too big of a torso and the Sivas board director was just like, nah, we got to make him look smaller. So put his head on someone else's body. <laughs> uh, I hope that's the end of the awkwardness for him because it has been such a strange season. He hasn't gotten minutes. He is a sort of, he's on that like, oh yeah, that guy list when it comes to Americans abroad. I don't necessarily know if Sivas Bohr is going to be the thing that turns it around, but it is... The level where he came from, it was either Ankara Gaju or Ankara Spor that he came from initially when he moved to Besiktas and he had had success at that level. That's more of like a mid-table Turkish team. Moving to Sivas Spor, I, I think, will probably benefit him in terms of maybe more chances to play. And I also think they're not scoring goals uh, for fun these days. So maybe that also means he gets some opportunities just to see if he can turn things around.
2: Yeah, Sivaspor are 14th in the Turkish Super League. They've scored the sixth fewest goals in the league, so they're going to be looking for more offensive production, obviously. But Tyler Boyd could be a conduit for that production. They play a lot of 4-3-3, so there's a chance for Boyd to come in and play on the left, cut in on his right foot like he likes to do. They have some wide options already on their roster, some wingers, right wingers, left wingers. But this is a chance for Boyd to get back in rhythm, to get back in form, get on the field and actually play some games consistently. And he hasn't been able to do that for quite some time. This feels like a good move for Tyler Boyd.
1: I agree. I I think he probably will get minutes sooner rather than later. I won't be surprised if he's already playing for them this weekend, just because on top of the fact that he already does have the track record at this level in, in Turkey, there is also a sort of like veneration of those big three teams that I mentioned, Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, Besiktas, that if you go to – like, un- unless you're talking about very specific cities, like Trabzon, they will support Trabzon Spore. But in Ankara, uh, w- when I lived there, there was like, you had a few people who liked Ankara Spore, you had a few people who liked Ankara Gujou, but if you went to Galatasaray playing one of those teams, it was mostly Galatasaray fans in that stadium. Same thing for Fenerbahce, same thing for Besiktas. Those teams just have so much money, such high, like, prestige and awareness of them that I think a player dropping from Besiktas to Siva Spore does give him that bounce. It does give him that momentum to continue to play, and I think there will be an enthusiasm for him that was not there with Besiktas. So I am with you. I think it's going to be a good move for Tyler Boyd. Hooray for Tyler Boyd. Anything else from Turkey, Joseph? I don't have anything else to add, Taylor. Do you want to share (laughs) any more Turkish facts with us? No, I think I'm good. I think we've had plenty of Turkish facts. What I do want to do is take a moment to talk about today's sponsor, starting... This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. With Policy Genius. Thank you very much to Policy Genius for once again sponsoring the Total Soccer Show. It's the shortest month of the year. We've talked about it before. You've got slightly less time to check off your February to-dos. My to-do list is constantly growing, so I appreciate Policy Genius trying to make that much easier because they can help you kill two birds with one stone if you're looking for home and auto insurance quotes and you want to save a lot of money, then that's where Policy Genius can come in because they make that entire process much, much easier.
2: And here's how it works. First, you head to policygenius.com to answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from over 30 top insurers from progressive to nationwide to find your
1: lowest quotes. The Policy Genius team will look at all the ways to maximize your savings, including bundling your home and auto policies. If Policy Genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now, they will switch your switch you over for free. They will not switch your offer. They will switch you over. I misread that one. I think it made sense. You're good. Yeah, and free is good, right? We like free. <laughs> free good. Free
2: good. Mm-hmm. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating over 1,600. I said 1,600, not 1,600 this time, Taylor. Reviews on Trustpilot and Google.
1: That's the good stuff, folks. That is indeed. If you're worried that March is around the corner and you've barely gotten anything done, take a deep breath. You can do that. Here we go. Ah. Policy Genius will help you make the most of this short month in minutes. Just reshop your home and auto insurance and you could save up to a $1,000. $1,000. $1,055 specifically. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. PolicyGenius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Thank you to PolicyGenius for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Magic Spoon for sponsoring today's episode. And as I said last time, for feeding me breakfast in the morning when I am waking up with through one bloodshot eye, having gotten like three hours of sleep from a screaming baby. It's nice to not have to think about what I'm going to cook, but instead just pour cereal into a bowl. I like it a lot, Joe. I like it a lot.
2: Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to to cook eggs, Benedict, sleep-deprived, nah. and have 12 dishes to work through. This is true. No, no, no. Nobody wants to deal with that. Magic Spoon is easy, it's good, and it's good for you, and it's convenient.
1: That is right. Zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, only three net grams of carbs in each serving. The zero sugar thing is good because I feel like then I can just use all the sugar in the coffee to further wake me up. Uh, for the longest time, you sort of had to buy the variety pack. You got the four boxes. You got four different flavors. You could try them all. Uh, Magic Spoon has heard you. They have changed the approach. You can choose what you want to come in that initial package. Uh, you can choose between cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry flavors, plus brand new flavors like peanut butter and cinnamon so you can put it all together you can pick the ones you want and it tastes amazing but is also keto-friendly gluten-free grain-free soy-free low-carb and gmo-free go to magicspoon.com
2: slash tss man i'm getting hungry right now go to magicspoon.com slash tss to grab a variety pack and try it today and be sure to use our promo code tss at checkout to save five dollars off your order and taylor magic spoon is so confident in their product it's mm-hmm. backed with a 100 percent happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund
1: your money, no questions asked. This is not just because they're an advertiser, it is also because I enjoy the product, but I like 100% happiness guarantee, because it's sort of like, it it does leave it open to interpretation of like, I wasn't happy with this aspect versus this aspect, they don't care, they'll refund it anyway, but I don't think that's going to be a problem, because... It's really good. Uh, I would go with blueberry. Blueberry is one of my preferred ones. I have enjoyed that one regularly, and it's the first one we ran out of. So I guess that that tells you how much I enjoyed it. That's magicspoon.com slash TSS, and use code TSS to save $5. Thank you to Magic Spoon for saving us money and for sponsoring today's episode and for making my mornings easier when it comes to figuring out what to eat. Joe, with my dietary habits now discussed, let's talk about some more Americans who got some moves. We've got a few different Americans playing in the championship now or soon to play in the championship, which leads me to wanting to ask you a question about the Premier League. Uh, we've had many Americans in the Premier League. Christian Pulisic is already in the top five for American goal scorers in the Premier League. I think he's number four right now. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to put you on the spot with the third one because that one's a bit harder but can you name two of the americans who are ahead of him
2: so i assume clint dempsey's in there you are right
1: that Mm -hmm. that feels like an easy one
2: thinking about the second one Mm -hmm. Hmm. i'm thinking i'm thinking i'm thinking i'm gonna
1: need an initial okay i always kind of forget because it's been a little bit of time but think like 2002 world cup who was scoring goals for the u.s
2: oh boy 2002 world cup u.s goal scorer in the premier league Man, I'm blanking. I'm gonna go, th- oh, I'm gonna go one for three on quiz? Man, that's not even a passing
1: grade today. That's, that's terrible. Uh, I think you're gonna be mad at yourself. He has a pub named after him at the club stadium. It's Brian McBride, Brian McBride, oh my uh, Clint Dempsey's number one, Brian McBride, number two, Roy Wengerle, number three, 13 goals total for Blackburn and Coventry combined. Then we've got Christian Pulisic with 10 goals in the Premier League so far. A man who I think will be scoring goals in England, at least I hope so, is Daryl Dike, who has been loaned to Barnsley. Didn't see that one coming, Joe. What about you? I definitely didn't see it coming. One second he's playing for the U.S. Yep. against
2: Trinidad and Tobago, and then the next second, apparently he's going to Barnsley on a short-term loan with a $20 million, uh, a, a buy option in that deal, according to the Orlando Sentinels,
1: Julia Poe. This is a bit of a, a crazy deal. Yes, it is. Uh, I think, like, the, the craziness compounded by the, like the new work permit regulations, but the way I understand that is essentially with Brexit, uh, like they had to change what the requirements were because you have so many EU players who now need work permits to play in England. So they changed it a little bit, not necessarily relaxed it, but the point system is much more beneficial if you've played for the national team, if you've played, uh, in one of Europe's top flights. And so Daryl DK getting that cap for the US, I'm going to say, Earned, but maybe not also also a coincidence that he gets that cap and that then helps him secure that work permit. So that's a big part of it. But then the 20 million dollar or pound fee that feels to me like Orlando City were told they had to put in a buy clause. And we're just setting it, it so high that there's very little likelihood that he ends up staying with Barnsley. That's my read on the situation.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you. According to Tootle Ramen on Twitter, he, he tweeted out, considering Barnsley's record buy is $2.5 million, the only way a $20 million option is triggered is if Barnsley makes the Premier League next year, their 12th right now, and DK is the runaway star of the show. Tootle, I completely agree with you. I don't think this this buy option is going to be triggered. It probably was just mandated that it had to be in there, and so they picked a, a pretty solid number.
1: Yeah. I, I do think he could become a starring figure for this Barnsley team. To give a little bit of background about them, uh it from what I saw, they go with the 3-4-2-1. Uh and that one isn't is a one. They stay up top. It's usually Kali Woodrow uh playing as the number nine, back to goal, trying to challenge for stuff, thus far has nine goals and 23 starts. But Collie Woodrow is trying to bring that ball down, trying to play back to goal. Is six foot, six foot tall and 171 pounds. Uh, Daryl D.K.'s got him by two inches and 50 pounds. So I think right there, D.K. Man. is already going to be a bit more capable of back to goal, like causing defenses problems. I will say that in the game I saw against Nottingham Forest, I watched Woodrow fail to score an uncontested header inside the six-yard box. And I just think that maybe Daryl D.K. is able to get on the end of that one a little bit more cleanly, and maybe he finishes that one.
2: Yeah, I think there is a good fit for DK in this group. You you broke down the formation and how they use that number nine really well. There's some similarities to how Orlando used Daryl DK and and how I think Barnsley is going to use him. Under Oscar Pereja last year, Orlando City played out of a 4-2-3-1, so not a three-at-the-back shape on the surface, but in possession that actually did turn into a three-at-the-back shape. And so DK was the the top of that shape, and Orlando almost played out of a... 3-4-2-1, three four two one with Chris Mueller and and Perea uh or Pereira excuse me coming inside and, and tucking in almost underneath as dual attacking midfielders underneath Daryl DK. And so this possession setup is not going to be foreign to DK although Barnsley keep hold of the ball just a lot less than Orlando City ever do.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit of a concern for me Uh because it's it's a Barnsley team that they're not doing particularly well right now. Uh That one win, two draws, two losses in the last five games, only three goals scored over that time period. They are currently 12th, but I think have the second fewest goals of any team in the top 12. That's another one of those slightly confusing statistics, but the gist of it is that they don't score that many goals, and so my concern is that while it feels like he will fit in perfectly and will be able to who maybe come in as a, a late sub for Woodrow, occasionally start, and they'll sort of rotate back and forth. I have some concerns about this in the way that, like, I had concerns or grew to have concerns about Josie Alcidor being utilized at Sunderland, that you can put a player in there, but if you're not giving them service, if you're not giving them opportunities and numbers around them, it's sort of a thankless task, because they're holding the ball up with nobody within 20 yards, or they're trying to get on the end of crosses that aren't particularly accurate, because you've just got them bombing into the box to try to get there in time. I have some concerns from that perspective, but overall I think just that he's going to go in there, probably get some minutes, and at the very least challenge Woodrow for that starting spot, maybe earn it outright. I don't think he ends up doing enough that they're gonna to want to shell twenty million on him, but I do think it's gonna be really good experience for Daryl DK to like further develop his overall game.
2: Yeah, at the end of the day, this deal is a chance for Daryl DK to continue developing while MLS either figures out their CBA stuff, mm-hmm. or either yeah. way, they're probably going to push back the start of their season into May or late April if the season happens in in that sort of on time time frame at all. So there's, there's almost no downside to DK going, playing a few months. Maybe he misses a little bit of the start of the MLS season, but why not go develop, test yourself in training in a different environment and continue to grow as a player?
1: D- Joe, like, do you feel like some of these moves happen because of the uncertainty with Major League Soccer? Like, do you think yes. if we knew the season we're starting, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah,
2: definitely. This, it's this DK answered. deal, this DK deal, uh, the Jordan Morris deal probably yeah. wasn't hurt by that, but, but maybe not as, As explicitly related to that. But I definitely think the Paul Areola deal, which I think we're going to talk about in just a minute, going to Swansea City, I I think that one would not have happened if this was a normal year with no pandemic and no labor dispute. Areola would still be with DC United, I'm fairly confident.
1: Well, then let's talk about uh those two players now with Swansea City. Uh We've got Jordan Morris. We've got Paulo Riola. Jordan Morris already getting minutes, seven-plus minutes in a 3-1 to win over Rotherham United. Came on for Jamal Lowe, partnered Andre A.U. up top. And I thought, looked fine. Like, he didn't score a goal. He almost had a, a sort of unintentional assist that was then, I think, forced a save that led to a corner. But I saw a lot of what we kind of expected. He comes in and plays in that front, like that front two. Good aggressive running. Not quite as good with the hold up play. There were moments when he was trying to play back to goal. And I think all three of those occasions, he either didn't really challenge for the header or lost the header when he did. So maybe that's a thing he can work on. But overall, the running, the energy, the enthusiasm, trying to make runs behind, but then also trying to hassle defenders. It it was a, a positive start, I will say, to his Swansea City career. And the fact that he hasn't been there that long, what we
2: talked about True. him one, two weeks ago on this show, when mm-hmm. that move was first happening and first announced and reported and all of those things. A couple weeks later, he's already getting appearances in the English Championship. Swansea are still second in the league. I think this is a good opportunity still, like I thought it was before, for Morris to continue to to work his way into that lineup, maybe eventually become a starter and test himself at a, at a different level. Not necessarily a higher level in every game than MLS, but a different
1: level. There's value in that. There is. And, and I think I, I have a feeling that that it will be OK for Swansea. <laughs> like maybe that's just a, a like more optimistic hopefulness than anything else. But the way they're playing that they're second in the table, I think they should be able or I hope they will be able to sustain that. It seems like they've kind of figured out the approach, know what they're doing, win consistently, score pretty well. I think Jordan Morris coming in kind of makes a lot of sense, even if it is a little bit out of position for him. I think he does a lot of what they need him to do. And it just feels like a smart insurance signing of we're bringing in another attacking player. Who's going to cause problems, can handle the physicality, has the pace is a goal scorer. And I I think he's going to elevate that performance. I don't know if that means he starts every single game, but I think he is going to end up being a positive contributor and consistent contributor for a team that I do think has a very good chance to get promoted. I I don't know if we're going to get as many minutes from Paul Ariola, but I also think that move makes a lot of sense, at least from the Swansea City perspective. And I would say from the Paul Ariola perspective, maybe not from the D.C. United perspective.
2: When you're making a promotion push like Swansea are, you want those depth pieces. You want yep. the Jordan Morris. You want the Paul Ariola to come into that group and, and maybe not start right away. Clearly not start right away if you're Jordan Morris, but to be an option if an injury happens, if a rotation needs to happen Having Morris and having Areola gives Swansea City and Steve Cooper those options. Yep. Paul Areola tactically fits into the Swansea City team well, I I think at least. They play a 3-5-2 under Steve Cooper. We've talked about that in the past on this show. And they use a right wing back in that shape. I think Paul Areola's best position might be as a right wing back. I don't think he's best as a right winger, even though that's where we see him with the U.S. I think he's better further down on the field where he can use his defensive work rate more often. And he can use it to a bigger advantage. When he has that whole right side of the field to work in a 3-5-2 shape, for example, I think he can be effective, but there is a, a big player blocking him at that right wing back spot. That's Connor yeah. Roberts, who is 25. He's a regular starter for the Welsh national team and has been a very productive player for Swansea this season. So, Taylor, it's not going to be easy for Ariola no. to get on the field.
1: It is not. Uh, yeah, uh, Roberts has started 26 games this season. Not all of them in the league, but thus far Swansea have played, I believe, 26 games. So he has played many in that, many in the FA Cup. Uh, the, the key thing for me is, has been that, uh, when Roberts isn't starting, it has been Jordan Garrick, at least most recently. Uh, he is now on loan at Swindon Town in League One, which I think then explains the Paul Ariola loan of you're bringing in a player to challenge Roberts, uh, maybe kind of like spell him in the latter or like 20 minutes or 15 minutes if you're trying to see out a game or maybe you're chasing and and uh, Roberts just needs a break. But also... If we have those 20 games remaining, which we do, but if Swansea do drop a couple places and now they're in the playoffs, more fixtures, that's more opportunity for players to get injured. It's more fatigue. So I also think like even if Ariola isn't a starter consistently for them, I think he's going to get a lot of experience. I think he will get at least some minutes. And I think like he's coming into a situation that is very clear in my mind of he's being brought in to be that backup right wing back. He will start occasionally. If he does really, really, really well, maybe he's the starter. It feels unlikely to me, and I'm okay with that because, as you said, it's it's a sort of short-term situation based on what's happening in Major League Soccer. So I think any experience is a good experience, and if they get promoted, maybe it becomes a permanent thing and he gets more opportunities. I will also say that left wing, wing back Jake Bidwell is sort of equally important to Swansea, so you've got two very established starters there. I don't think Ariola is going to uh, basically supplant them anytime soon but i think the move makes a lot of sense and it makes me pretty happy overall also they look just like paul Ariola. <laughs> like i'll say i'll add that it <laughs> kind of blew my mind that they're both a little bit shorter a little bit squatter very fast very hardworking, knocking people off the ball they're not going to back down from a physical challenge i just think he's going to fit in there really well
2: swansea basically have three paul Ariolas then is yep. what you're saying that, that, feels, like a, that <laughs> yeah. feels like a
1: good place to be yeah i think so i think so uh, any other
2: thoughts on swansea my last thing, DC United co-owner Jason Levin is also a co-owner of Swansea City. So there's, there's another tie in there for why this deal got done and, and how it was able to get done before, before the end of deadline day. So that's
1: just a random Swansea DC United fact. I like right? it. I like it. I like it. Uh, another championship one we've talked about a little bit. We've got two more players actually to talk about in the championship. The first would be Dwayne Holmes. We spoke about him. A couple episodes ago, uh, he has gone back to Huddersfield and has made an appearance for Huddersfield. Uh, second half sub in the 59th minute in a one-to-one draw with Stoke. Uh, I did not watch any of his footage. I was just very excited to see him back in and getting 30 minutes, which is something he was obviously not getting with Darby County. Uh, I do not enjoy that Darby have won three straight. I would prefer they have a uh, you know fall off a cliff because they didn't give Dwayne Octavius Holmes the minutes he so deserved. But that he's back with Huddersfield and getting minutes makes me very, very happy. I think there's a movie somewhere in the Mm -hmm. whole, the return
2: of Dwayne Octavius Holmes. I think that could be a great title. I'm just, I'm just thinking through more long-term ideas that we can, we can work (laughs) with here, Taylor.
1: All right. Well, while we think about those long-termers, another maybe long-term plan for Norwich was to bring in Sebastian Soto, loan him out, but then suddenly it's easier to get a work permit. I also think this was another example of Greg Berhalter. I'm going to assume there was coordination with Norwich and with U.S. soccer, but Berhalter giving Soto a cap in December that also allows him to get a work permit much more readily similar to Daryl DK and now we have him back with Norwich playing for their U23s looks good in yellow and green i wasn't sure how that would go but he looks just fine does anybody really look good in
2: yellow and green taylor no. that's an honest question you can look question. fine
1: in yellow and green i think <laughs> okay i mean you can play well in yellow <laughs> yeah. and green don't get me wrong but but i'm not sure you can look good i think i thought about this last week for some reason Bruzier dortmund are they the team that most consistently pulls off a yellow jersey yeah, yeah, their, their ratio of, of jersey ugliness to
2: mm-hmm. on-field quality is, <laughs> is super unique, I think, in terms of global soccer.
1: I like it. Uh, so we're not sure how we feel about the yellow jerseys, but we, we like Sebastian Soto back with Norwich, he says with a question mark, cause, like, I was confused about loading him out to a second division Dutch side, uh, Telstar being that club. Now he's back with Norwich, I don't know. I guess this is sort of like the, the Chris Richards situation where it, or Joe Scally, where it feels like there is a reason for this. We understand what they're doing. We understand how they're going to be developed long term. I, I think maybe it's just because there's been such a history of uh, Premier League or championship teams bringing in Americans, but not necessarily knowing how to develop them or how to utilize them. I like that he's back with Norwich, but I'm still a little bit concerned. Joe, do you have thoughts on this one? This is a wait-and-see one for me. I don't
2: know what Norwich are going to do with him. In the near term, it seems like he'll be with the U23s for the rest of the season, maybe training with the first team and getting an appearance potentially off the bench. But what happens next season is pretty much a mystery to me, and I'm going to be interested to see what happens.
1: All right. Then we've got two more Americans by my count to discuss. They're both players we've mentioned previously, so I don't think we need to go too in-depth on them. Uh, let's go with Mark McKenzie first with Genk. May- makes that move, has already gotten minutes. Joe, how are we feeling? I'm feeling good. He was sold for a reported $6
2: million fee. That was reported by MLSSoccer.com's Tom Bogert. And so far, McKenzie has played three games for Genk, two starts, one substitute appearance, We've broken down one of these games before. I think that was his first start for Gank in in the Belgium first division there. And and he's played a few different spots across the back line already. In their first game, he played as a left-sided center back in a back three. Then in his next game, he came off the bench to play as a right-sided center back in a back three. And then most recently, he played as a right-sided center back in a back four. So he's doing a lot of different things. He's getting looks in different spots. and And for me, right now, when you're first getting into a team, that's a good sign.
1: Yeah, I absolutely, I will admit, Joe, I heard what you said. I'm a little bit distracted because before we started recording, I had the Man United game on. Uh, Southampton got an early red card and I think I turned it off at three nil and I thought just like sort of jokingly, like, wouldn't it be funny if Man United found a way to, to beat Southampton even worse than Leicester did when it was eight to one? They won nine nil today, Joe. Nine nil Manchester United oh my over Southampton. Goodness. Not a scoreline wow. I was really expecting and one that I just felt the need to mention right now because it kind of blew my mind. That popped up on my phone and I was like, that. Must be a typo. It's not a typo, though, that Mark McKenzie is playing for Genk uh, and like, yeah, going in, starting in the Belgian league. I like my question then for you, Joe, is like, let's say he has a strong finish to the season. They do fine. Do you want to see him an- with another season in Belgium? Like, how happy would you be if he had already made the jump to the Bundesliga or the Premier League or even like the Eredivisie at the end of this season?
2: I'd be happy, not necessarily with the Eredivisie, I don't think that's enough of a jump, unless he's playing for Ajax or or Feyenoord or PSV, and then maybe that's a different discussion, but if he made the jump to the Bundesliga, to a mid-table Bundesliga team, that's great, that's awesome, but I don't think that's especially likely, after only half a season in Belgium, it seems more likely to me that he sticks around for another year, and at 21 years old, that's totally fine, that's not a problem If we're just looking at it objectively in terms of his career trajectory, if he wants to stay in Belgium forever, good for him. That's also great. Right. You and Jason Davis talked about all that a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week. Time is weird. But Mark Hmm. McKenzie, from a development standpoint, I think would be just fine with another year in Belgium before using that full season as a jumping off point to a bigger and better level.
1: I think what I'm realizing is I need to figure out how I feel about the Belgian league because it's, it's one that like when it was Sasha Kleshton and he was our only American playing in the champions league, it felt like, okay, but we've got this American there. He's getting minutes. This is exciting. And now with the developments we've seen with the players that have moved where they've gone, suddenly it's like, Hey, he's in Belgium. It's fine. Whatever. And it doesn't seem like we, like I, I, I'll speak for myself here, not for you or all American fans, but like I shouldn't dismiss that so readily. And I think I sort of not to dismiss Mark McKenzie, but it's just like, Oh yeah. And then he's also in Belgium. that's great. Like, it doesn't, like, Brendan Aronson, for example, who's obviously now with Salzburg, we're going to talk about him in a second, that one, like, I think I'm already more excited about just because it feels so obvious that he'll be with Salzburg for a season or maybe a season and a half And then he moves on to either RB Leipzig or a Bundesliga club. It feels like that pathway is there. And there's a decent chance that that pathway is already in Belgium, already exists. And I'm just sort of not as up on that league, so don't know it as much. So therefore feel like, okay, but what happens next with McKenzie? And I don't think I do that as much with other players as I'm doing with him. So that is probably unfair. You're right. I should just be happy that he's there and getting minutes and already doing things.
2: And maybe it's because I just love watching center backs play. I just get so caught up in watching his film, watching his footage, watching him play for Genk. What is he doing on the ball? How is he breaking lines with his passing? Is he being aggressive? Is he being timid? And then defensively, how is he covering ground? Is he being an asset to clear things out of the box? Is he is he sticking with his man 1v1 in space? I love to watch those things and evaluate those things. And so I'm just happy that we get to watch Mark McKenzie in this next step after the Philadelphia Union.
1: All right. Well, that begs the question, Joe, who are your favorite American center backs to watch for that reason? G- give me a few that you enjoy uh, for whatever reason or because they do all of the things. They tick all the boxes.
2: So John Brooks is an easy answer. Correct. He he <laughs> breaks lines like
1: nobody's business. He can
2: ping those long diagonals that Michael Bradley was was well known for pinging when he was playing a lot with the U.S., especially early on under Burhalter. But I love Mark McKenzie for that reason. I also love Chris Richards. He's not at his full potential yet. I don't believe But he can break lines with his passing. He's got a great right foot and a pretty solid left foot as well. And then he's also just so athletic. Athleticism is such a big part of being a top-tier modern center back. And I think Richards has that. And I think McKenzie has that as well. They're able to do things on both sides of the ball and then defend space. That's so important. Now, you think about Liverpool. They'll push their line all the way up right around the halfway line or in that area. A lot of other team, uh, top teams will do that as well. You need center backs who can get on their bike and get back and defend all that space in front of their goalkeeper. I, I That's why, that's a lot of why I like Mark McKenzie and Richards goes in that
1: category as well. All right, Mark McKenzie to Liverpool confirmed. You heard it here <laughs> first from Joe Lowry. Joe, thanks for that. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. Right, so that that's... I feel like we should do an entire show about like Joe's thoughts on American center backs, which is definitely a niche show, but one I would enjoy because I find it hard to, like when we do our weekend review talking about the Americans, if it's a center back, it's like, oh yeah, he won that header. Like, oh yeah, he had that pass. But I, I think it's, you don't get those big highlight moments. And even if you do, it's usually like scored a header off of a corner or off of a set piece. And then you're exciting to talk about them doing that, but that doesn't really inform what you need them to be doing as a center back for the national team. So maybe if we can find a way to, to discuss center backs that isn't just like, well, oh, kept a clean sheet. That's good. I, I, <laughs> I, I welcome it, Joe. We'll have to find a way to do that. But for now, let's talk Brendan Aronson really quickly. Uh, does move to Salzburg, is already playing. Uh, the move was agreed in 2020, not 2019, as was the case with Joe Scalley. Uh, but he moved on the first. And I think it's just sort of like we've already talked about it. It's just exciting that he's in there. I wasn't really ready for the complete physicality of some of those games, even friendlies, but he seems to be handling it. I, I'm going to assume that he is already doing pretty well in his relationship with Jesse Marsh. Uh, and it is another one where I think, similar to Mark McKenzie, I feel a bit like, yeah, this is great. What comes next? Uh, and I shouldn't do that because Salzburg challenging for the top of the Austrian Bundesliga consistently, if not winning it consistently. And so I think it's a good place for him to be to both develop but get meaningful competitive games that will then facilitate that development further.
2: I like to imagine that every Thursday night, Brendan Aronson just goes and has dinner with Jesse Marsh and his family. Yep. And they just, you know, they sit they're around, scrunch. they have a good time, they eat some classic American food, or maybe they're eating some Austrian food, I don't know. And then a couple of days later on the weekend, Brendan Aronson goes out there and he plays as one of those two attacking midfielders. This is real now, by the way. The the dinner thing mm-hmm. was, was fake, or at least in my imagination. He has been playing it as one of the be. two attacking midfielders in a 4 triple 2 Under Jesse Marsh, he's looked fast and capable so far. Occasionally out-muscled, occasionally bodied out there on the field. He's still getting stronger, but he's not afraid to try things. He maybe tries too many things at times, but he's had a nice backheel come off. He's had an assist that was all on the goal, goal scorer, very little on him. But he is he is doing things, and he is getting on the field for Salzburg, and that feels like a step in the right direction.
1: All right, so a step in the right direction for him. I would say this entire window, a step in the right direction for Americans. Really, of like the 13 we discussed, I think only two I have somewhat prominent lingering concerns. And even those, that's like a, I guess, a very good way of putting it as opposed to saying like, I don't know if it's going to work. I'm pretty nervous about it. To be like, well, there are reasons it might not work. But even if it doesn't, I think it will be fine. We don't often say that about 13 different transfers. So I feel like that's a good batting average for Americans abroad.
2: We didn't do a lot of big picture stuff in this show, Mm-mm. but man, this kind of feels like if this window had happened a year or two ago, mm-hmm. this would have been incredible news. This, this would have been the biggest story in, in recent American soccer history. And I'm not saying it's not right now, but when you got, when you have guys like Brian Reynolds going for $8 million, when you have Joe Scalley making a move to a Bundesliga team, when you have Chris Richards moving to Hoffenheim where it looks like he could actually get minutes, then you have the championship guys, the Turkish guys. I mean, there are so many players that we talked about today that have done good things. You add in the union players as well. The sheer quantity of players and then the quality of of a lot of these guys is so high. This is a big deal, and this should be a big deal, and I hope we did a justice, Taylor.
1: I think we did. I also think uh like superstitious listeners, go ahead and plug up your ears because I'm trying to get away from like knocking on wood and worrying about jinxes. Uh It's probably kind of a silly thing to be concerned about. But if the U.S. does qualify for the 2022 World Cup, which they absolutely should, and I do believe they yeah. will, like windows like this combined with what uh players are already doing that we talk about so regularly, like what I keep going to is is looking forward to World Cup previews that either completely dismiss Americans and then are shocked when the U.S. team does okay or when they suddenly look at this team and realize the quality. But I think I'm mostly excited to see reporters who I respect in Europe having to look at the U.S. men's national team and take them a little bit more seriously than I think they would otherwise. And a lot of these moves are going to be part of that, maybe not in 2022, maybe in 2026. But to your point, it is just this like wave of Americans now playing for some of the biggest teams in the world and then some of the like the the next step in like the next tier and it, and it just surprises me that we have this many this successfully i don't see it changing i hope and i don't see it going backwards so it does feel like we're sort of at the beginning of the next era or we're already in it but either way i'm just feeling very optimistic uh, and i apologize to all the listeners who are now furious because we're not going to qualify for 2022 because of what i said
2: no, no, I think you just use that as a way to get the attention of, you know, some random Italian journalists. Pay attention. Pay attention to us.
1: That's what we're demanding to close out this show. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Exactly. I, I need to practice my Italian a bit more before I demand <laughs> things. But yes, uh, for now, Joe Lowry, thank you for taking the time to talk. All of the many Americans who moved this January window. I'm very, very excited. Uh, we went long as I think we both probably expected, but not too long. I feel like this could have been a three hour show in another world. This could have been, and I'm going to say you're welcome to all the listeners for it not being three hours long. (laughs) Uh, I will as as well. Listeners, a reminder, once again, you can catch myself and Joe live on the Stereo app this Thursday at 6 p.m. talking about La Masia, as well as answering your listener questions, asking some of our own to you. But for now, Joe, one more time, thank you for taking all the time to talk with me today. You got it, Taylor. Listeners, thank you all very much for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.